Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and the opening of the preseason. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's going down in the offseason. We will be talking about the Olympics, finishing that up, and we'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook now. Remember, we just started the Facebook page. You can follow it at JTime Sports, and that should pull up the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instagram. So definitely get a follow on that. And also subscribe, like, and rate the podcast on Spotify or iTunes. And make sure you definitely check that out as well. But I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All righty, welcome into the show. I am absolutely excited right now. The NFL preseason is back. Uh, the NFL season's back. Normally, I'm not this hype about the NFL preseason. I consider it fake football. Um, it's not. Uh, you got a lot of guys who are really trying, you know, first and second games, really. They're cutting down to 90 people this week. So um, you have probably 100 guys in camp right now. Some team will be carrying 100 guys because they have first, second, and third everythings. Uh, probably have a kicker maybe or a punter. You might not have three punters. You might have two punters. Or if you got a set kicker, you know you might have a second kicker just to give that starters a leg. But you, for the, in general, you might have three depth charts deep. Well, you might, you're going you're gonna to have six, seven corners. You're going to have seven to 10 receivers. You're going to have 10 offensive linemen, maybe even 13 offensive linemen. Uh, you may be, you know, same with defensive line. You may have 10, 11 defensive linemen, uh, three or four quarterbacks, you know, way more six, seven running backs, way more than you will ever carry um, because it is a situation where you have to have three strings, especially in the first week. So now you're going to cut down to 30 to 90 people, excuse me, this week. Then the next week is 75. Then, of course, the final cuts down to 53. Um, so the preseason's back. And the reason why I'm so excited is because of some of the unknown. And we didn't have a preseason last year. And admittedly, it was a little weird. We didn't get that first look at Joe Burrow. We didn't get that first look at Tua. We didn't get that first look at Justin Herbert. Maybe Justin Herbert wouldn't have shocked us the way he did um, when he came in five-minute hit notice on the Chiefs uh, game and went toe-to-toe with Mahomes for a good part of the game, uh, maybe he wouldn't have shocked us nearly as much if we would have seen him in the preseason. But we didn't get a look at him. We didn't get a look at Burrow. We didn't get a look at Tua. Um, you look at just some of the great preseason games we've seen from young guys. Remember Dak in the Coliseum in his rookie year? The, the competition was over. It was an open comp. Romo was trying to come back, and then you had Dak. Uh, Dak does that in the Coliseum, and it was over. It was Dak's job. Uh, you look at Patrick Mahomes, kind of the couple of crazy throws he made that rookie preseason. We should have seen him coming. Uh, his talent was evident. And so you just look at other guys who've made big impacts in the preseason. We didn't get that last year. So um, you look at Baker had a couple of good moments in the preseason. Sam Darnold had a couple of big moments in the preseason. And we didn't get to see that last year. So in, in order to get that this year, I think that's where the excitement is coming from. I watched the Patriots game fairly closely. We're going to start with that. Um, I'm a Patriots fan, as you guys know. Listen to my show routinely. I'm a Patriots fan, so I watched that game as opposed to I kept my eye on the Eagles Steelers, but I was really watching the Patriots game. Uh, and we saw, I looked in the stadium, looked in the crowd when they panned back. It used to be the NFL basically refused to do pan shots last year because nobody was in the stands. Um, so it was kind of a depressing scene. It was quiet. But to hear the roar of the crowd when Mac Jones came in, to hear the roar when John Luke Smith got a big first down, uh, they panned, they did one of those pan shots to get one of those angled corner uh, top of the stadium where you see the whole stadium pretty much. I would I would guess just from eye test, 85, 90% capacity. Um, I don't know that I don't have the official number in front of me of how full was it, but it was red and blue everywhere. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I know for a fact Gillette seats are blue, but you can tell it was red, white, and blue everywhere. Uh, it was moving, so clearly it was people. And like I said, I test 85 to 90% full for the first preseason game. So the excitement's back, football's back. 
Um, but let's dive right into it. Like I said, we're going to start with the Patriots since I watched that game for three quarters pretty closely. I Admittedly, I didn't watch the fourth. Uh, when Brian Hoyer came in the game, I didn't particularly care to watch. Uh, that wasn't what I was watching for. Um, I know who Brian Hoyer is. Maybe if Stead wasn't had, when didn't have back surgery, and I could see Stead maybe trying to secure that third roster spot, that third quarterback spot, I probably would have watched maybe for Stead. But we know who Brian Hoyer is, so I didn't particularly watch the Brian Hoyer segment of the game. Although I did see uh, Stevenson's big run uh, out of Oklahoma, the running back. I hope he makes the roster. Um, the big show, of course. It was opening week preseason. It was in Gillette Stadium. It was the first time we have had Patriots football with fans in the stands since Tom Brady exited and went to Tampa Bay. And of course, it was Cam versus Mac. Uh, these guys are opposites in pretty much every way you can imagine. Uh, one's named Cam, C A M. The other one's named Mac, M A C. One's a six foot five athletic African American quarterback. The other one's a six foot, I guess Mac Jones is six foot three. Pretty unathletic Caucasian quarterback. I mean, it's they're pretty opposite as far as you can get. The one went to Auburn, one went to Alabama. I mean, they're about as polar opposites you can get um, in terms of just background and physical appearance. And then you get to on the field and they're both competing for the same job. Uh, the offenses with either one of them in, in the game would look totally different. Uh, for Cam Newton, you would get Tim Tebow's offense from Denver under Josh McDaniels on steroids because Cam has a much better arm, even in this state of his arm, than Tim could dream of. And then if you look at Mac Jones, you see a lot of the Alabama concepts. Spread them out. Yes, there's some power. Yes, some two tight end sets because that's what Belichick likes to run. McDaniels does too as well. But that's what Belichick likes, but it's more shallow cross patterns. It's more of levels concepts, uh, not to get too deep into the minutia of the game, but it's more of Alabama's concepts than the traditional Josh McDaniel style that he ran with Brady. You even see it a little bit with Cam. Um, some of that deep ball uh, gunning it. And although Cam threw a lot of shallows last night and a few times he did throw the ball in through seven passes. Um, but they were, it wasn't much deep sea fishing for Cam Newton. I think that was the on par that was on plan because Cam's going to start. So you don't want to throw too many of the real plays out there in, uh, on game film for a team that, um, maybe looking like they play the dolphins week one. You don't want to put too much of Cam's actual game plan on the field. Um, and so that could have been by design. It wasn't a lot of deep sea fishing, um, so that was interesting to see, but I looked at Cam and um, I was pleasantly surprised. I saw arm velocity, you know, his concern ever since Luke Keekley, uh not Luke Keekley. Oh man, I can't think of who hit him right now. I think it might be Luke Keekley. No, TJ Watt. And TJ Watt hit him uh, when he was in Carolina, that last year in Carolina, uh, cracked, messed up his shoulder real bad. Cam was really accurate under North Turner. Um, but he messed up his shoulder real bad. And last year, you can kind of see some of the side effects of it towards the end of the year. It started to wear down. And again, this is the first week of the preseason. But um, we saw a Cam that can win. His traditional numbers, four of seven, 70 something yards, uh, six some yards, 70 some yards. Can't think of it right now. Um, passer rating was pretty solid. It wasn't anything spectacular. Um, but watch his command of the offense. The team clearly believes in him. Um, his pocket feet looks great. He did have the one oh no play, but it kind of wasn't his fault. Um, the right tackle or left tackle rather got absolutely abused by Chase Young. Um, and Chase Young did what Chase Young does. He's the top five edge rusher in the league already coming into his second year. Um, and he did what he does. He got a strip sack on Cam. Uh, that was the only real oh no play. And maybe Cam was a beat off in terms of timing because he was trying to let the ball fly. He didn't feel Chase Young. He never looked at him. Um, but he was trying to let the ball fly. Timing. Your left tackle just got absolutely abused. If the left tackle holds up a little bit better there, Cam's not putting the ball on the ground. But other than that, um, good performance from Cam. Four for seven, like I said, only played a few possessions and he was out. Um, got a couple of field goals. I got a field goal. Um, so it was in general solid from Cam. He didn't lose his job. I mean, and I know I spoke about this. Other analysts have as well that losing the job will be what Cam has to do. He would have to lose the job. He would, there, I don't see a scenario where Mac Jones comes in 
and wins the job if that makes sense is because when you come in as an encumbrant um it's not like anything like a, anything like a political election you look at um politics how it's very rare that the returning presidential candidate or the incumbent presidential candidate doesn't get a second term uh trump's the first one since i think president carter to not get a, um, a second term it's it's pretty standard that you're gonna get two terms if you want it um it's even gotten to the point i feel like sometimes they don't put their best candidate up against them because they know they're not gonna win sort of thing um and so the same thing i feel like in sports the person who has the job pretty much has to lose it it's very rare you get somebody who's coming in and is gonna flat out win the job uh now we have seen that We've seen that when it comes to Russell Wilson and Matt Flynn in Seattle. Russell Wilson flat out won the job. Uh, you've seen that in Dallas. Tony Romo, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott won the job. Now, Tony also succeeded. And I feel like if Tony would have went to Jerry and said, you know, I want to play, he would have started. Um, but Dak won the job. So it happens. Um, but think about it. Patrick Mahomes was a far more t higher talent than Alex Smith could dream of. Alex Smith didn't lose the job, so Alex Smith played the whole year. Now, once people saw Mahomes in the preseason and week 17, you couldn't keep Alex Smith there, but Alex Smith didn't lose the job. So I feel like Cam's in the same spot. If Cam has a good season, we won't see Mac Jones at all this season. Maybe until week 17, where if they have playoff seating locked up or something, maybe we see Mac then. But other than that, you might not see Mac all season because he's not athletic, so you can't run packages for him, similar to what I anticipate with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but it's just, and it comes into a play, it comes into effect rather, that, like I said, Cam just has to not lose the job. It's fairly simple on my end, and he didn't lose it last night. Uh, but speaking of his competitors, speaking of Mac Jones, I actually, I'm going to change my stance from what I tweeted. Um, I tweeted it, I Instagrammed it, and I Facebooked it. Uh, check out my timelines. I went out and I said, man, Mac had a great game, had a great debut. I think Cam did well, you know, I gave compliments to both guys. I'm going to change my stance. I'm going to change it in a matter of, what was it, maybe 12 hours? 14 hours, give or take? A little bit more than that. My stance is going to change into what I saw from Mac Jones scared the hell out of me. Here's why. And it's, and it's, and it's of no fault to his. It, he got 13 completions for 87 yards. He threw 17 passes and got 87 yards. That is terrifying. Here's why. And it's not necessarily Mac's fault. Mac threw a beautiful deep ball that went right through one of the players trying to make the team's hands. I mean, hey, it was absolutely gorgeous. I can't even think of the guy's name right now um, that dropped it. It was absolutely a gorgeous throw. It looked very... One-on-one, -on -one, you can tell he's practiced with Sarkeesian and Saban and that crew. Because I've heard Bama quarterbacks say it all the time. Bama receivers say it. Bama coaches say it. They teach at Bama, if the DB's not looking, throw it. And I heard that from Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase when they, they, they did it at LSU too. If the DB head is not looking at you, throw it. Because if you don't know when the ball is coming, as long as the receiver don't tip it, he pretty as long as he don't tip him off the ball is coming. He has no idea it's coming to him. I mean, the crowd's going to start to roar, but he don't know what's coming. So the receiver could just keep doing what he's got to do. And as long as those hands don't come up to the very last second, the DB's got no shot. Um, and so he he threw it. You know, the DB wasn't looking. He threw it. It was a beautiful ball. Um, and he dropped it in. The receiver just dropped it. And then he threw another one that was kind of deep to Gunnar Olszewski, a little bit off target. So I think he should have let him let him more instead of dropping it, trying to drop it over the shoulder. Uh, Gunnar clearly was looking to be led more because he ended up basically running away from it and trying to peel back. Um, love Gunnar, but he's not that naturally athletically gifted. And so it didn't work out well. And it was about a step overthrown of Gunnar's outstretched hands. Uh, something that you expect to see in a first preseason game. A deep ball is a step fast or a shallow route to step low or something you know it's one of those things where it's basic timing is a little off wasn't too mad to throw at all it was where the db couldn't get it so i was good with the throw um but those were his two really only attempts to go what i like to call deep sea fishing which is a little bit more risk uh very bruce arians uh risk no risk it no biscuit 
kind of attitude. Um, like I said, I call it deep sea fishing. And it's something that I was glad to see. But God, that arm looks weak. Like it looked eh, in college. And I always said, man, the windows in the league are going to get tighter. And Devontae Smith running away from the middle linebacker in the national championship game, you could just literally throw a pop pass, basically, and he's going to score because he's running away from a middle linebacker and a cover two. That's one thing. When you're playing against a zone defense in the NFL, you throw a crossing route, and it's almost like I can count to three Mississippi before that ball gets there. And I couldn't. That's a little bit of exaggeration. I couldn't, admittedly. But it's almost as if that ball floated on a crossing pattern. That's terrifying. Um, I did, was, did not love the arm strength. I love the decision making. I mean, he, he's very, I'm not going to turn the ball over. Um, so kudos to him for that. Like I said, he only went deep sea fishing twice. One of them should have been a touchdown. So his numbers would have looked a lot better. It would have been, I even add that one. It's 14 completions for probably a buck 27 and a touchdown. It looks a lot better. Um, but it didn't happen. It happens. And so... It's it was it was scary. The lack of arm strength, the lack of real mobility. I mean, he, he can't move at all at the NFL level. Um, and that's not the way the NFL is trending. Look at the guys in his draft class. Trey Lance is very athletically gifted. Justin Fields is very athletically gifted. Um, but I can't think of the rest of the draft class right now. But those two guys specifically are incredibly athletic. Trevor Lawrence, I'm, I'm sorry. Very athletically gifted. And Zach Wilson's probably best ability at the NFL early will be his feet. Um, and so those four guys, Trevor is the slowest out of the four. And he can run. He can move. Uh, Mac Jones is a statue. His walk looks awkward. His jog look awkward. Um, when it comes down to doing something athletic, it just looks awkward. Um I don't know again how this works. Um, I'm a Patriots fan, and I, and I want Mac to work. I was very anti-Mac before the draft. I still think he's the fifth out of the fifth. Uh, he's definitely fifth place out of those five quarterbacks that went ahead of him. Uh, I'm not going to bag off that stance at all. But it comes down to a situation where Cam didn't lose it, and I don't see it athletically for Mac. Um, I think he has a worse arm than Tua. So I it it, it worries me because I, I I don't trust Tua. I always say, man, the the Patriots are gonna be second in the division because Tua is the quarterback of the Dolphins. You know, it's kind of like that situation. So now you're gonna get a less athletic Tua. I, it just doesn't work for me uh, with the Patriots. But he had a pretty good debut. I'm not I, I'm gonna back off. Great. Um, I saw a lot of red flags, arm strength, the inability to deep sea fish. Now I don't know if that's Partially because of the weapons we had on the field or partially because his inability to get the arm strength there at the NFL speed. Um, I don't know, but Cam's still the week one starter. I've seen people already tweeting. I'm saying it now. Mac versus two a week one. I'm like, no, it's going to be Cam. Now, I wasn't doing that. Now, when they play later in the season, it could be Mac versus Tua. But week one is going to be Cam versus Tua. Um, if Cam didn't lose his job, had a pretty solid couple of series. Mac played basically two quarters, uh, didn't win the job, pretty much showed on tape what he showed in the game, um, just with a lot less arm talent when put on the NFL field. But now we're going to shift to the other game that was played last night, um, Eagles versus Pittsburgh. The quarterbacks won full display. Uh, I, I jotted their stats down. I didn't watch this one as closely, but I jotted their stats down. So for the Eagles, their main two quarterbacks that played were Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco. Uh, Jalen Hurts went three for seven uh, with about a 70 QB rating. Joe Flacco went 10 for 17, including a touchdown and a 114.3 uh, quarterback rating. So a lot better numerically uh, than Hurts. But again, Hurts going against the ones. Um, Flacco against the twos. And then for the Steelers, they had two good performances from their quarterbacks. Mason Rudolph, eight for nine, 77 yards with a 107 QB rating. Uh, and Dwayne Haskins, a 16 for 22, 161 for a 108 uh, rating. So passer rating rather. Very impressive from both of those guys. Um, the Steelers will probably carry three quarterbacks. Josh Dobbs will be the odd man out. Um, 
but those guys are trying to fight for that immediate backup and for the future of the Steelers because it was kind of de facto it might end up being Mason Rudolph but then with the addition of Dwayne Haskins on the roster that definitely puts Mason Rudolph's claim to that title in jeopardy and so they went at it last night in terms of how they played they played very efficiently uh, neither one turned the ball over both had good ratings uh anything above a 100 is a pretty good rating for a quarterback and so both of them carried uh 107 and 108 and so good job to both of them uh for trying to compete for this immediate backup job and for the future like i said of the pittsburgh steelers so congratulations to both of those guys uh hurts looked a little shaky um, nothing alarming. I'm not going to ring the 5 o'clock alarm. I don't think Hurts is going to be the future in Philly. But I'm not going to ring the 5 o'clock alarm. It happens. It's the first week of the preseason. Uh, for most guys, I take preseason like glorified practices. Now, if you were to come out week one of the regular season and do this uh, below 50% completion percentage, uh, rating below 70, then I'd be concerned. But, you know, it's, it's the first week of the preseason. He might have had a great day of practice and joint practices. Two days before. So I'm not, you know, truly that concerned um, about Jalen Hurts. But kudos to those guys in Philly and uh, in Pittsburgh. Those quarterbacks I saw I was focused on in that game uh, was the quarterback play. Because I know the Eagles have a Joe Flacco, Jalen Hurts situation going on. Even though Hurts, I believe, well, Hurts will be the starter. I don't have to believe that. Hurts will be the starter. And Pittsburgh, their two guys, uh, their two main backup guys, Rudolph and Haskins, are fighting to be the future of the city and the future of the team. Along with being the, the backup that if Ben were to go down, um, and I don't have faith in Ben making 17 games, it's possible, but I don't see him playing 17 games, that they are fighting for the right to be the first guy up. But some people I am looking forward to this weekend in terms of why I'm so excited for the preseason. I'm looking forward to Jordan Love. Um, it was announced by Matt LaFleur that Aaron Rodgers probably won't play at all this preseason. What does that do? That does something for us this year we did not get last year. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers would have played in the preseason last year, even with a new system, maybe a series or two. But it would have gave us a ton of Jordan Love. Well, Jordan Love turned into basically a myth. He turned into the Loch Ness Monster. He turned into Bigfoot. He turned into the Yeti. I mean, he, he turned into something that, a unicorn. It's uh, something's never, ever seen. The Galapagos Monster. Uh, we've never seen, I don't have any real photo evidence of any of those things. And so, Jordan Love basically turned into that. No media were allowed at practice, so we didn't get recorded footage of him throwing a ball. Um, so that was interesting. He was able to basically hide his rookie year. Well, now he's going to get thrown into the spotlight. With Rodgers not playing, they're going to need a starting quarterback for these games. I anticipate Jordan Love maybe getting a half of action each game. And then they're they dividing up the rest of the reps among the rest of the quarterbacks. But I expect him to get about a half of work. Um, that would be good to see him at the start of a half, two-minute drill maybe. Um, how does he handle adjustments if they do a little bit over halftime into uh, game three? But I'm really excited to see Jordan Love play quarterback for the Packers to find out if the Packers have their third great quarterback in a row or if they need to be looking for that outside of the building. And I think the Packers are anticipating that as well. Trevor Lawrence, uh, the top rookie pick, is who I'm interested in seeing along with Urban Meyer. Um, he, so that is Urban Meyer's gutting, not necessarily gutting, but he's tearing pieces out of the Jacksonville organization uh, by making a couple of trades. He's apparently TJ Henderson is up for availability. They just traded out a linebacker. And so they are doing what they gotta do. They're clearing some of the uh, bodies in the building. And so when it comes to that, I'm very interested to see Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer, what that offense looks like, what Trevor Lawrence looks like, along with Tim Tebow, who I'm sure will pop up in one of these games. Joe Burrow recovering from a knee injury. Uh, there's been no announcement from the Bengals saying he won't play this preseason. So I'm interested in seeing how Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase pick up their connection from LSU, along with how healthy Joe Burrow really is with that ankle injury, or with that knee injury, rather. Um, Chase Young got him pretty good, uh, really wrecked his knee. And so um, I'm interested to see how he's looking, wearing, wearing a protective brace more than likely, um, how he moves in it. How does, he, how does he treat him? How does his arm look? There's been reports all offseason about how he was 
working with Jordan Palmer and all this technology and throwing the ball faster and all sorts of stuff. And the coaches are uh, raving about how his arm looks way stronger and things of that nature. So I'm interested in seeing him. And lastly, I'm interested in seeing Justin Fields. Now, the Chicago Bears will play both quarterbacks. Andy Dalton will play in the preseason. Justin Fields will play in the preseason. This is a situation where I believe Justin Fields can take the job. So, you know how I spoke about New England where I don't believe Matt can take it from Cam? I believe Justin can take it from Andy Dalton because Andy Dalton is not special athletically. Justin Fields is. And so when you have some situation like that, I'm already a better athlete than you. If my arm is close, I'm going to show that I'm a much higher talent than you. And so I believe that the Chicago Bears will be playing Justin Fields sooner rather than later. Um, I believe that Andy Dalton will get the first game, but everything after that is on a toss-up situation. It's on a how to Andy play situation. Um, I believe Andy's in a similar spot like Cam. Don't lose the job. You know, you, you know you'll know, probably be okay. Just don't lose it. I believe he's in a situation like that. But we're definitely going to see uh, what happens in that Chicago preseason game. Uh, just touch on some news. Uh, Zach Wilson did not look great in his first scrimmage in front of the fans. He threw a couple of interceptions and turned around and threw a couple more apparently in the next practice. Um, his rationale was that he was taking these times to find out what he can get away with. Um, he said, so I, he said, I had check downs, but it's a practice. It's designed for me to feel like, okay, can I, can I get this ball through there? Can I do this? Can I do that? Um, I see a little Johnny Manziel in him. Not a lot. Um, I don't think he's nearly the bad, I don't want to call him, he's not a bad person, but the wild person off the field that Johnny was. Johnny would have had no chance of surviving at BYU. Zach Wilson was there and started and led the program. Um... He does have a sense of strong sense of arrogance to me. It's not necessarily a negative thing, but it, it is definitely there. And so I think it's in order to keep Zach Wilson happy in the future, if it comes to that, the Jets will have to involve in personnel decisions, not unlike Aaron Rodgers. But back to present day, um, he's going to have to get that cleaned up with turnovers. So he, he may get scarred from trying things in a regular game and decide to dink and dunk his way around the field, which also won't be great. So we'll definitely keep an eye on Zach Wilson was going down his game. Uh, update on Michael Thomas. Apparently him and Sean Payton had a meeting uh, to try and hash out some of the differences because it is believed he wants to stay with the organization. It's just they have some things they have to work out. And so apparently a very productive meeting between Sean Payton and Michael Thomas occurred. Uh, hopefully getting some of that ironed out to have Thomas ready to roll when he retires, when he returns rather from his surgery. You know, Rashad Bateman of the Baltimore Ravens, their rookie wide receiver, uh, has a soft tissue injury believed to be a groin. Uh, he's out four to six weeks, which puts an immediate damper on the hopes of the Baltimore Ravens to be a very, very serious contender. Without a down the field passing game, they're not going to make that happen. Um, so the health of Rashad Bateman will be key to the success of the Baltimore Ravens this season. Um, and then the New Orleans Superdome, or should I say the Caesar Superdome, home of the New Orleans Saints, has announced that in order to enter the building, uh, you will either have to have a negative COVID test within 72 hours, a negative COVID PCR test within 72 hours, or you must have proof of vaccination. Um, and you will also have to wear masks and stuff inside the building. New Orleans being the first big city to do this for NFL city to do this will be huge I, I I imagine that other stadiums will soon follow um but in one of the lower vaccinated states in the country this could be a double ploy this could be a ploy to get people to come into the stadium because it's open but also a ploy to make people go get the vaccine um because they want to get into the game so that is all I have for the NFL and up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down with the association. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to jump right into the NBA and talk about what's going down with the association in the offseason. So, of course, when it's NBA offseason, you've got free agency, you've got trades, you've got summer league now. It's become a big thing. Uh, so, we're going to jump right into it. The big news 
uh, coming out of the day was Kawhi Leonard has officially re-signed with the Los Angeles Clippers. He and the Clippers have agreed to a four-year, $176.3 million contract extension that includes a player option after year three. Um, very interesting situation that Kawhi did. So, yes, he actually left money on the table. Um, he could have very well maneuvered with the CBA and gotten up to five years, 220-something million dollars, give or take. In order to do that, he would have had to opt into that last year and then extend after that. Um, but he could have, and it was a couple other tricksy options, rather, he could have done to really gotten 200 something million dollars guaranteed. But he opted to go with the traditional, he opted out actually, and did not back in to go with the traditional four year 176. Uh, still a lot of money, uh, but it's, you know, Kevin Durant signed four years 198 in Brooklyn. Uh, you saw Steph get four years 215. He couldn't go that high in terms of over 50 million dollars a year, but he could have gotten close uh, with a few CBA tricks. But ultimately, he left money on the table. Uh, what this does do is locks in Kawhi and Paul George as the Clippers one and two, uh, presumably for the rest of their real primes. Uh, Kawhi is on their own, entering the wrong side of 30. I think he's 30 now, maybe 31. Uh, Paul George is close to that if he's not already 30 himself. What it does is it locks them in for the backside of their peaks. Maybe not necessarily their prime, but their peak years from 27 to 32, 33. It locks them in for the back half of that. It also gives the Clippers something to tell the fans entering Inglewood. Um, if you don't, if you don't, the guys don't know the Clippers are leaving Staples Center within the next couple of years. Um, how that went down was a friend on the show before, but Steve Ballmer bought the forum from. James Dolan, who's actually the owner of the Knicks, he used to own he own he used to own the West the old Forum, uh, the Western Forum. Uh, it's not even a basketball arena; it's used for concerts, uh, stuff like that. Um, that's why he said that the Sparks should play. The Sparks should play in the old Forum instead of playing in that little side convention convention center. But whatever, when they're not in Staples. But anywho, the uh, owner of the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, rich on the NBA by. I think 20 or 30 times. Um, he bought the forum cash for like $2 billion or something like that from James Dolan. Um, but what it did was it gave him the territorial rights to the area. So the M NBA and NFL, I think NHL has it too, um, you have certain territorial rights and you can't be in the same area basically as another team unless you're grandfathered in. So like the Clippers and the Lakers can both be in Staples because they were grandfathered in. Uh, Brooklyn and the Knicks actually had to, they figured out their zoning, but they were pretty much okay anyway because they were already in the same kind of geographical area. Uh, you see, you know, that's why you don't see a team moving to a city with that already has a team. Unless something like the Rams and the Chargers in the NFL, but that was again kind of a grandfathered in situation. That wasn't a traditional move. Uh, that was approved by the league ahead of time. So what happened was by buying the forum that gave Balmer the rights and the Clippers the rights to build a facility in the Inglewood area. And that's what they're doing. They're building a beautiful facility. The mock-ups are spectacular um, of what they're trying to get done in Inglewood. And they would be leaving Staples Center. That would give the Clippers the newer brand. That would give the Clippers the newer facilities. They would keep them in LA. So in terms of free agency, and they have the richest owner who's willing to win, to do anything to win because he's got $80 billion and he just wants to win basketball games and win championships. And so it get, and he's very energetic. I love seeing Steve Ballmer on the side, uh, especially during playoff games. He's incredibly energetic. Him and Mark Cuban on the sideline for their games were spectacular, um, but he just wants to win. So he's willing to put $3 billion cash into a new facility to try and become a free agent destination. Well, you have to sell your fans on something. That is the reason why the Warriors, in my opinion, brought back the championship core. They should not have brought back Draymond Green, basketball-wise. Like, yeah, it makes sense, kind of, for what they how they do things, but you could have, like currently, they refuse to include Draymond Green in discussions for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a younger, better, more talented version of Draymond Green without the emotional leader. Now, maybe the emotional leadership is worth that much more, but in terms of talent, it's Draymond Green is Ben Simmons light. So I would have done a trade for Ben Simmons, but I wouldn't have brought back Draymond Green anyway. But why did they do that? My point is why they do that? Because they wanted to have something to tell the people of San Francisco when they were moving to the Chase Center. Yes, you get Steph Curry, 
but you also get Klay Thompson, you also get Draymond Green, and those guys brought you the first champion, the first, the last dynasty, the first dynasty this team's ever had, and the first championship since Rick Barry or something like that. I mean, it was it was tremendous what those three guys did for the city, and so they brought those guys back. And then what they do, had the Chase Center paid for before it ever opened its doors through sponsorships, pre-sold tickets, suites, um, all the other stuff, concert bookings, everything. It was paid for before it opened its doors. I'm sure that's what the Clippers owner, Steve Ballmer, is envisioning for his facility, that he gets repaid before the doors ever open to the facility, before one game is played on the floor that the stadium is paid for. Although he's paying for it in cash, the Warriors owners were dated through loans, stuff like that. But... You know, it's a different thing when it's paid for before the doors even open. Um, and so that is why I think the Clippers brought back Kawhi. Uh, he's the first person to ever choose them. Nobody ever chooses. Nobody chooses the Clippers. You choose the Lakers. And then if you can't get to the Lakers, then you can go to the Clippers. See Chris Paul. Now, Paul George technically chose Oklahoma City over the Lakers. He didn't go to the Clippers. The only reason he ended up on the Clippers was because Kawhi called and said, hey, you want to come home? I, I need a running mate. And so he goes to the Clippers through that way. But nobody ever chooses the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard did. So they rewarded him with a four-year mass contract based on the way he operated the CBA. Um, so that is big for the Clippers. Congratulations to them. Um, the, the question of the day, the popular question of the day has been, will Kawhi lead the Clippers to the championship? Uh, my answers are resounding, hell no. Um, I don't see a scenario where they win. You've got Paul George. Kudos to him. He showed up last offseason. He showed up last playoffs. Congratulations to him. He also had a couple of clunkers in there that was kind of covered up by other players. Um, I don't believe he's that number two to win a championship. Mentally. Not physically. He has talent. Talent's there. Something in the playoffs is like Alex Rodriguez. It's like, you know, some other great players. They get to that point and it, something happens to them mentally. I don't think he's the number two to help Kawhi win a championship. Speaking of Kawhi, I don't know if the Kawhi is the number one anymore. He's got bulky knees. Um, they are very unreliable. He's not having, he's not being operated on again. We already seen he missed 73 games with the thigh bruise. And now he's looking at probably missing next season too with the partial 20 ACL. Although it's been reported a few times that the surgery went well and that the ACL tear was not as bad as it could have been. And so maybe the injury timeline is closer to seven to 12 months instead of nine to 12 months. Uh, nine to 12 months if he started the playoffs and he's not coming back in the playoffs. Seven to 12 months will give you a couple months warm up if you come back at seven to warm up to get ready for the playoffs. I don't see a scenario where Kawhi Leonard plays this season. I could be wrong, although I don't think so. I don't see a scenario where Kawhi plays this season. Um, but it, it does lock in PG and Kawhi for the foreseeable future and guarantees that the Clippers have two stars to hang uh, banners and posters and paintings and all that other stuff of when they move into their new beautiful facility in a couple of years. Speaking of contract extensions and locking in talent, the new, the sorry, the Brooklyn Nets uh, have already re-signed Kevin Durant, like I mentioned earlier, four years, 198 max contract extension. And they are now in discussions with Kyrie Irving and James Harden uh, per GM Sean Marks in order to lock in the rest of the big three to long-term contract extensions, preferably another four, all four-year deals to make sure that the big three knows they are together and they are committed to winning with those three in charge for the foreseeable future. Now, Brooklyn has a history as well. Nobody chooses Brooklyn. I mean, Vince Carter went to the New Jersey Nets, but I'm saying in Brooklyn's history, no one chooses Brooklyn. Uh, when they had that old team, Darren Williams and Paul Pierce and the rest of them, they all got traded to Brooklyn. Uh, it was the ultimate fleece job by Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge. Um, but they all got traded to Brooklyn during the Mikhail Procroft era where he was trying to hurry up and win uh, because he just wanted to win. I mean, that was pretty much his old goal, hurry up and win. He didn't really understand the game. He And they were able to fleece him out of a lot of assets by um, sending him a bunch of old players for draft picks. And so... It ultimately didn't work out, but no one chooses Brooklyn. They just don't. It's not a free agent basketball destination. Um, who chose Brooklyn first? Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then they got their good buddy James Harden to go with them to make the big three. Um, and so 
they are going to reward those guys for choosing them by giving them maximum contract extension money, I assume. I don't know why there would be a big negotiation with Kyrie and Harden. Find the most money they can get and sign it. Um, they're going to be luxury tax, draft pick, hopeful. Um, give me luxury tax to death, draft pick, and free agent minimum contract, hopeful to fit out a bench. Uh, they seem to have gotten two good draft picks this season. Cam Thomas out of LSU. Um, absolute bucket and playing better defense already than he did in college. And uh, Sharp, I can't think of his first name. Uh, Sharp from UNC, the big man, uh, seems to be a pretty good player as well. So they got two guys. I think both should make the roster. Uh, the 12-man official NBA roster uh, and, can, can, and can contribute, especially Cam Thomas. Uh, kids are walking bucket. So that is huge for Brooklyn, locking those three guys up. Uh, do I think they win a championship? Maybe. I give them a much better chance than the Clippers. A much better chance than the Clippers. Um, I, I correctly predicted early when the Brooklyn trade happened, they will not win last year. Um, I don't think they win next year. I think, um, I, I don't know why, and I said it when I predicted it the first time. I said, I don't know why um, they're not going to win. I just know they're not going to win. Um, and so, it, and ultimately, some will say injury. Was the reason they didn't win? Maybe. But um, they did not win a championship. Now, who would I predict to come out? It's too early. Dame could be a sixer. You know, uh, Milwaukee could add another piece. You know, they're pretty much cap-strapped. But, you know, Dame could end up being a sixer or something like that. So I won't pick who I would pick to win. But I don't see Brooklyn winning um, a title next year. Maybe two years from now. Maybe. Um, but maybe two years of frustration might be too much for Kyrie. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't see the Brooklyn Nets winning a title next season. Um, the Lakers have officially introduced their new look roster. Uh, Russell Westbrook had his press conference uh, when he spoke a lot about being in a team but staying true to himself. Someone say that's contradictory. Um, I'm not one of those people, but... He has the ability. That is the answer to Brooklyn's big three. Um, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving versus LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. Um, it, it would depend on health, I think, for both sides. If I had to pick right now in a clash, I'm going to pick the Lakers. They have the best player in the series in LeBron James. Uh, they have the better coach, Frank Vogel over Steve Nash. Um, Anthony Davis' advantage to me is bigger than I would say James Harden' advantage is, especially in playoff basketball. So I would lean Lakers probably at seven. Uh, the veteran experience definitely on the Lakers, so they get there healthy. It's gonna be it's gonna be an issue for a lot of teams. You got guys like Carmelo Anthony, you got Dwight Howard, you've got Trevor Ariza, you've got Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk for youth and shooting. You've got Wayne Ellington. Um, you got plenty of guys on the team. Kim Bazemore. You got plenty of guys on the team that. Are, are, are new guys in with experience and shooting. Now, Dwight can't shoot, um, but the rest of them pretty much can shoot the three ball at a high clip and has a ton of experience, some final experience in a couple of guys. Uh, but, you know, Malik Monk is the only one not to make the playoffs out of the new additions. But playoff experience, league experience, uh, shooting, and uh, toughness, even toughness inside. You got Dwight Howard back. You got Trevor Reza. He's no slouch. Ken Bazemore really good for you and be physical. Um, and so that is something for the Lakers to look out for. I mean, I see that the Lakers could be a 50-win team, 50-32, and 32, finishing the third seed or fourth seed of the playoffs, and then they, they are in the NBA playoffs because if they get there healthy, I don't see anybody out of the West, especially with Kawhi down with knee surgery. I don't see anybody out of the West uh, stopping the Lakers. If healthy, I mean, that's just a fact of life. I, I, I just don't see it. They would have the best player in the conference and most games in the conference. They have the two best players in the conference. Um, and then sometimes they have the three best players in the conference on one team. So I would definitely give a hard lean to the Lakers in terms of favorites uh, to win the West next season. The Summer League. Um, I'm not a big Summer League guy. In terms of where I watch a lot of the summer, you know, I, I watch the Pelicans. I'm a Pelicans fan, so I watch the Pelicans. Um, I like I see out of Trey Murphy, uh, Luzada, 
uh, he's looking good. Uh, Alvarado, like his game. Kyra Lewis, like his game. Uh, Najee Marshall, liking his game. Uh, that center, I can't think of his name is. He usually starts at center, like his game. Uh, well, like I said, I'm a Pelicans fan, so I'll watch them. But in terms of generally watching the summer league for all the different rookies, not necessarily my thing. But this class of young guys, man, wow. Uh, I definitely may be doing some apologies. Um, definitely maybe apologizing to a few guys. Um, just some names that stood out to me just in this summer league. Jalen Green, what he's doing for Houston. Kate Cunningham, number one pick for Detroit. Evan Mobley, obviously went to Cleveland. Jalen Suggs, who I said was Josh Hart 2.0. Um, or a slightly more talented Josh Hart. May have to retract that soon. He's, or, or no, actually it's pretty accurate. Josh Hart, a little more talent, might end up being Jalen Suggs. Um, so... You know, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes is better than a lot of the guys gave him credit for coming to the draft. Uh, James Book Knight is playing well for Charlotte. Trey Murphy, I mentioned him from New Orleans. Uh, he is an absolute sniper at 6'9 and can defend. Leangelo Ball is playing well. He had a crazy half-court buzzer beater. Um, knocked down a bunch of threes his debut. Playing consistently well. Not the best defender in the world, neither his brothers. Uh, Lonzo Page pretty good defense, but his little brother doesn't play any. Um, great shooter. Uh, he's, he looks more in shape. His basketball IQ is coming out a little bit. Does not have his brother's athleticism. Uh, definitely more of a shooter with a big body. Uh, Cam Thomas spoke about him earlier with Brooklyn. Um, one foot game winner in double overtime in the sudden death OT. Double OT, rather. Uh, one foot running forward, drilled the bucket. Um, so not surprising at all. We've seen he did at LSU scoring 23 a night. He's also the all-time leading scorer at Oak Hill Academy. So he's an absolute bucket, very inspired by Kobe. He wore 24 in college. Looks like he's going to wear eight in the NBA or try to. I think Jeff Green wears eight on Brooklyn currently. Um, but he, like I said, absolute bucket. Uh, what he's been doing this preseason. Sharif Cooper, maybe. I mean, Jalen Sosen is still the draft. This draft is going to be very... It's going to be very numerous and who could be it. Uh, Jalen Suggs for Orlando could be numer- uh, Could be one of the guys for still the draft. Sharif Cooper in Atlanta. I mean, his stat line in college was eye-popping. If you just look at the raw numbers, you say how in God's name he gets to 48. Um, there was some off-the-court concerns about him. That's what got him in trouble going into college. There was some off-the-court concerns about him entering the draft process that weren't really helped during the draft process, and that's why he could have failed to 48. But his talent is undeniable. Uh, some of the passes he's making, his team, they're so good, his teammates are not ready for them, and they're not finishing them. Uh, so his stat line actually should look better, but he is playing very well. An, uh, a guy, Another guy I may owe an apology to um, is Sharif Cooper. And Luca Garza, the main guy I want to apologize to is Luca Garza. I didn't think his game would translate. I didn't like his body type. I mean, there's only one guy in the NBA succeeding with that body type. It's Luca. It's uh, not Luca. Uh, Jokic, uh, succeeding with that big body type, kind of slow. Uh, pretty much winning off your brain and your IQ, and not necessarily your basketball talent. And so he was a guy that I didn't think was going to translate well. Luca Garza was playing good basketball. Not great basketball, but he's playing good basketball. So Luca Garza definitely, he's lost something like 23 pounds, something like that, to really slim down. Um, kind of gave credence to what I was saying, that he needed to lose a little weight. But um, he has slimmed down. So congratulations to all of these young guys. Most of them are rookies. All the only ones that aren't, I believe, are Leangelo Ball. I don't think he's ever played an NBA game, so therefore he's still a rookie. And um, yeah, that would be it. Everybody else I named are young rookies. So the NBA is in good hands with scores, do-it-all players, rebounders, snipers, um, big men, scoring machines. It's it's pretty spectacular what this next wave is going to be. They said that um, this wave, this class, could challenge 03 and 84 and all the, you know, you know those legendary classes, 96. And so um, this class definitely has some talent in it. Uh, completely shocked by a couple of these guys. Like I said, Suggs is playing a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Didn't know a lot about Scotty Barnes. He's playing well. You know, I mean, I had high hopes for Trey Murphy, but he's shooting a cover off the bar early. But again, it's the first couple of summer league games. 
Um, with Summer League, I tend to look at the positive um, or I tend to look at the skill, not necessarily what the result is. So if you make a great move and miss the shot, I'm going to believe you're going to make that shot. You know, the move is more important to me than miss shot or you blow a defensive assignment. You're young. You're supposed to blow a defensive assignment. You know, it's kind of like I kind of take everything with uh, a lot of grains of salt negatively uh, in terms of basketball IQ because you're just trying to learn a system. If the offense looks a little stagnant, you know, you know, you still learn the signals. But I, I look at more individual play, and I mean, the guys I named have all had great moments of just wow. Um, not, I mean, Leandro wasn't necessarily a wow; it was more of a pleasant surprise. Same thing with Luca Garza. Uh, even Scotty Barnes not had really wow moments, but you know, oh, oh, Davion Mitchell is another guy I forgot to mention. Uh, Jonathan Kuminga. Uh, the Warriors draft pick. I mean, those guys have had moments of just like eye popping wow um, in terms of they made a great block or they made a great dunk. James Booknight, his athleticism is tremendous. Um, you know, Jalen Green's a bucket. He's he's a future all time. He's a future NBA leading scorer, scoring champion. Kay Cunningham, he might be, you know, the American answer to Luka in terms of what he can do to everything. Just a little bit of everything on the court. Really good at everything. Not great at particularly anything. Um, I, I haven't really seen a great quality. Really, really good at everything, though. A really, really good passer. A really, really good rebounder. A really, really good scorer. You know, shooter. Not great at particularly everything. There's nothing that when he ages out of, you know, when you age out of your athletic prime, what can he just hang around three, four extra years doing one thing? I don't really see that. Um, you know, Ray Allen hung around because he could shoot. Kyle Clover hung around because he could shoot. Worst kind of worst, LeBron can hang around because he can play point guard. You know, so something like that. You know, I don't really see that out of Kate Cunningham. And so he's really good at everything, though. Evan Mobley is where the, is where the NBA wants to go with their bigs. Jalen Suggs is a do-it-all guard. Um, no, he's got a better athleticism than I thought. That put-back dunk he had um, really wowed everybody, you know. Higher athleticism. Scotty Barnes nailed a couple of jumpers, which was his concern, entering the NBA. Um, Leangelo Ball, like I said, is holding well. Cam Thomas is playing better defense than uh, he's played in a very long time. Um, Sharif Cooper, like I said, versatile point guard. Reminds me a lot of Trey Young. And then Luka Garza losing the weight but keeping the skill was huge. So those guys have done a great job so far. Uh, can't wait for the NBA to come back. It's going back to his regular schedule. Uh, but up next, we're going to shift to finish off to talk about the Olympics. Alrighty, and we are back. And now we're going to talk about the Olympics. Uh, congratulations to all the medalists from every country, um, even all the Olympians from every country. You are the 1% of the 1%. Like, yeah, the athletes in the world are 1%. Professional athletes are 1%. But an Olympic-level athlete, that is an elite level. For instance, there's 450 players in the NBA. I would guess 350 are American-born. 12 made the Olympic team. Only 50 were invited into the Olympic camp. So if you look at... Well, 30, I believe, were invited to Olympic camp. So if you look at even the invitees are... 10% of the 1%. And then out of those, you know, uh, half of the 1%, you know, like it's, it's an insane number uh, of the Olympic athletes. Think about all the people in, the, in a country that runs track collegiately. Just think about college. The Olympic track team had, what, 50 people on it? So I'm, I'm just saying, like, a few of them were still college athletes. So kudos to all the Olympians. Special shout out to all the medalists. And a strong, strong uh, shout out to all of the uh, gold medalists and silver medalists. And speaking of gold medalists uh, and medalists in general, I want to give a shout out to the USA Gymnastics team, uh, especially the women. Simone Biles, current from her twisties, going to get a bronze on the beam. Uh, Jordan Childs, and what she's going through in her gymnastics career, going to get a medal uh, as part of the uh, team all around, getting a silver. Uh, shout out to Suni Lee. Becoming the queen of the all-around, uh, becoming the fourth straight American, um, fourth different, fourth different woman American um, to go get the all-around individual, uh, along with getting the silver with team. Um, you know, shout out to the swimmers. You got Katie Ledecky, 
um, who continues her dominance as one of, if not the greatest female swimmer of all time. Uh, shout out to the track team. They put on a show. Um, shout out to the USA and uh, basketball teams. Uh, three, three on three team won gold, along with the men's, of course, traditional, and then the women's traditional. For the women, that was their seventh straight gold. They have not lost since the 1992 Olympics. Uh, since their dream team of 96, they have not lost since. Um, Don Staley, who was the point guard on the 96, 2000, and I believe the 04 teams, um, coached this squad to their seventh gold. So congratulations to that, um, to, to that team. Uh, Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, their fifth gold medal. Uh, does Diana hang around to 2024 to go get her sixth and become the most decorated Olympian basketball player ever? Uh, her and Sue are the only players to ever win five golds, only Olympians ever to win five golds in one event. Um, so it, it'd be like a swimmer winning the 100 meter five times. Uh, not necessarily five golds in swimming because there's only one gold you can get in basketball. But she is the uh, first uh, female. They are the first athletes in basketball period to get a gold medal in in basketball five straight into five different Olympics. So kudos to them, too. Uh, I don't see a path for Sue Bird to go get six, but I definitely see a path for Diana Taurasi to play three more years and to go get a six, a go attempt to get a six straight gold medal, uh, which would be absolutely insane uh, to go from, in her case, um, go from 04 Greece to China, to Beijing, to London, to Rio, to um, Tokyo, then to Paris uh, in 2024. So that would be ridiculous. And then the men secure their four straight gold. Uh, they haven't lost an Olympic competition since 04, since Greece. So they lost in Greece. And when they won the bronze medal game um, in Greece, in an Olympic competition, they lost three games in. So they actually barely got past the group stage. They got past the group stage basically based on like win margin and stuff like that. They barely got past the group stage. Um, and then they were, and then they lost, uh, and went to the bronze medal bracket and, you know, ultimately end up being bronze medalists. Uh, and then they won in Beijing, one in London, one in Rio. Now they've secured Tokyo, uh, behind Kevin Durant, Chris Middleton, uh, Zach Levine showed up big, Drew Holiday, uh, Tatum as well. Bradley, uh, not Bradley Bill, uh, Damian Lillard didn't have the greatest Olympics, um, maybe a lot on his mind dealing with Portland and stuff like that. So I don't really blame Dame for that. But I want to give a big shout out to all the Team USA for what they did in every sport. Track, gymnastics, swimming. Uh, we have our first fencing medal for women. It ended up being a gold. Uh, Gabe Stevenson is a wrestler who's probably going to sign big money in either the UFC or WWE. Um, he got a gold medal. Shout out to him. Um, you know, there's so many big, uh, big time accomplishments, life changing moments uh, in these Olympics. And kudos to America, most gold medals, uh, most gold medals, and most total medals. So, very successful Olympic Games in Tokyo. Uh, one of the things that were talked about was the ratings were down, way down. Um, and I think that that had to do with it's not what it used to be. So, with this, with the advent of Peacock from NBC, which is their streaming service. Um, they put several of the events that you would normally see on television, they put them on Peacock. Uh, so like USA Basketball, men didn't play their group games on TV. They played them on Peacock. Um, the women didn't come off of Peacock, I believe, until they got into the, um, the competition as well. So when you get a situation like that, it's not what it used to be. I remember the Olympics used to be on all day. NBC was on the Olympics. If you went to the NBC, it was the Olympics. And they were usually showing you the American, what were the best American you know, chances? So if it was women's gymnastics, the same time as fencing, but we had Gabby Douglas or Simone Biles, they were showing women's gymnastics. You know, they weren't showing fencing, stuff like that. So, uh, but the impressions is what companies are looking at now. So they're not looking at quote unquote traditional TV ratings because they're looking at impressions. Uh, because streaming doesn't go into in TV ratings, they go into impression counts. And this is the most impressions that the Olympics have ever had. So the NBC made like a billion dollars or something like that. They're incredibly excited for what they did. Uh, their impressions were through the roof. Um, so kudos to NBC for doing well. And maybe the Olympics were down too because the pageantry wasn't there. The traditional field wasn't there. You were playing gold medal games for basketball in dead silent arenas you know the only reason why it wasn't dead silent was because uh the japanese contingent came out for the women's game and then um 
the men played France and some of the French delegates were still there, so they came and watched. But I mean, the only reason you had crowds in any of these events was because the, the Olympians from that country were going to support their fellow countrymen or country women. So that was the only crowd you had. I mean, it wasn't a traditional Olympics. It was a COVID Olympics and things of that nature. Uh, it was delayed from last year. So the calendar was a little off. It was it was not your traditional Olympics. Uh, hopefully Paris 2024 will be back to high ratings, um, beautiful scenery and stuff like that. The traditional Olympics where we got um, how beautiful Rio was, you know, how amazing Sydney was, how amazing Beijing was even. Um, so hopefully we get back to that traditional style of Olympics. Again, kudos to all the Olympians, um, especially the ones, you know, brought home goals. But again, all of them, congratulations. You are the 1% of the 1% in the world of humans. Um, and so to you're, you're the 1% of the 1% of athletes and you're the triple or quadruple 1% of humans. So congratulations to all the Olympians that went to Rio uh, from America and abroad. But up next, we're going to talk about sport innovation in our best for last and sport uniqueness, rather, in our best for last. All righty, guys, welcome back into the show and now we're going to talk about sport innovation and sport uniqueness. So something that's happened recently is that sports are trying to figure out the best way to evolve and to bring in people. And it's funny, you look at sport and you look at uh, how that sport is doing their innovation and how they're doing their uniqueness. And you can tell the target demographic of that sport. Um, for instance, the NBA brought in the play-in tournament. That ended up being a major hit in the younger demographic. The old traditional people were saying, oh, we don't like it. You got 82 games or whatever. Handle your business in a regular season. You don't make it. You don't make it all well. Um, but the play-in tournament was a big hit to the younger demographic. It's more basketball. It's more of an instant feel. It gets you in the playoffs kind of early. It may give like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry a last disc effort to get in the playoffs or Zion Williamson. Uh, last this effort to get in the playoffs. It's very popular uh, with the younger demographic that's been reflected. And so the NBA is going to bring it back. Um, we're going to keep it, make it a main thing. The uh, WNBA, they have an international field. So what do they do? They go bring in the Commissioner's Cup um, to play to kind of their international roots that are rooted in soccer. Well, in soccer, they don't have a traditional season. Yes, they play in a league, but they play in three or four different cups in that one calendar year. Something that's not very American at all. Even our soccer league only plays in MLS. You know, like um, they do a very tradition. They play three or four different, basically, seasons in one season, in one calendar year uh, in international soccer. And so that's something that the WNBA is including. Now they can, can include a commissioner's cup where you play the WNBA season while simultaneously playing a commissioner's club, cup season inside the WNBA season. Um, and you play for it's a big trophy in cash which is traditional what the European soccer leagues do, which is where a lot of our players go. Russia, um, you know, Europe, China, as well, a lot of our, a lot of our American players go play overseas while the WNBA is in the offseason. So that's kind of that feel, you know. And then the MLB did an amazing job with the Field of Dreams game. Apparently, they're going to make it a yearly thing, an annual thing. Uh, Field of Dreams, it, it, was in, it was in a movie, an Iowa cornfield. Uh, where they play baseball. I mean, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I never watched the movie, admittedly. But uh, from the scenes they showed from the movie and from what they showed in the game, they did a hell of a job. They played it on the actual field from the movie. Uh, the game was spectacular. I know a lot of people, including myself, wanted to see one homer into the corn. You know, it's kind of like that's something you don't see in a traditional game. It's sort of like when you watch San Francisco Giants game, you want to see somebody knocking into McCovey Cove. Uh, you know, you know, something like that where you don't see everywhere. Um, I remember that you wanted to see people were aiming at like the Marlins um, outfield thing, you know, stuff you don't see in traditional stadiums. You wanted to see uh, in that game and they end up getting five total home runs, including Aaron Judge jacking two into the corn including a walk off home run. Uh, as a Yankees fan, I was upset how the game ended, losing to the White Sox, but including a walk-off home run, it could not have gone any better for Major League Baseball. The aesthetics were beautiful. Um, not having lights in the cornfield so the ball gets knocked out and then it disappeared into the corn. You know, it's kind of like, it was one of those things like, 
Uh, it's, you know, you don't see that every day. When the ball goes out, you see the fans jumping up and down like, yeah, we got the ball. Well, that didn't happen because there's no stands back there. It's just a cornfield. Uh, and so knocking the ball uh, into the corn and losing it at night because there's no there's no light, so the ball's just gone. Um, the players were kind of the throwbacky old schooly uniforms uh, entering the stadium, how they did infield of dreams, uh, entering the stadium through the cornfield instead of like out of the dugout, like if they do in stadiums, they entered out of the cornfield and walked across. Um, some of those players that could have been their first time in a cornfield. I know personally it would have been my first time in a cornfield, um, especially for a non-Halloween situation. That could have been a lot of those guys' first time. So that would have, that was pretty cool to see. Uh, seeing Kevin Costner, who starred in the movie, kind of looking around like, "Wow, I can't believe we're gonna play actual baseball here." Um, so it was a great job. But it, what what did it do? That movie came out in like the '80s. It tied into the older fan base. Which is what baseball still appeals to. Baseball is trying to come to the younger fan base. They say they want to make a mission of it every year. It never really goes right. Um, it ends up always leaning back to the older demographic. Um, and that's what kind of the Field of Dream game, which they already said they're bringing it back for 2022. Um, so it was a cool it was a cool game, admittedly, but it, it tied into the movie came out in 88. So it tied into a generation 40 older. Or 35 and older, you know, that could, or really 40 and older that could really have enjoyed the movie with, you know, um, a time to the older demographic. So it, it's just cool to see uh, the innovation of the sports and the, how, what sports are willing to do to tie to their base. Uh, with football, you're getting more and more access, more and more highlight plays, more and more everything that it's instant. Why? Because they were trying to get the younger demographic. Why? Because that demographic loves social media. My demographic, I'm younger, love social media, love highlights, love big plays, love fantasy football, love gambling even. And so they're tying more and more into that, promoting that more and more. Same thing with the NBA, to try and get that younger demographic hooked on the sport, especially with the movement to eliminate football from youth sport in general. They're trying to get it more and more ingratiated into American society to prevent that from happening. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Um, this is your host, Justin Jackson. Remember, follow the Twitter, Instagram, and now Facebooks, uh, Justin Time Sports at J Time Sports. We'll pull up all three in your search bar. Um, and remember to like and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.